And uh, all right, so if you're not sure what's going on in Joshua chapter 3, I'll give you a hint. Um, Moses had passed the, the charge over to Joshua. Really, God passed the charge over to Joshua. And the spies had just come into Rahab's house. They had sort of made this covenant with her and uh, basically made this agreement that her and her family, anyone who was hiding in her home uh, in the walls of Jericho would be saved. They would be protected when the army of Israel uh, comes across. And Rahab had heard the reputation of the people of God, and Rahab uh, picked the right side that day, thank- thankfully for her, and uh, especially thankfully for her because she ends up in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, which is a really cool thing, especially because she was a prostitute. So um, there's a lot of really cool nuances to this story that we're not going to get into, but every part of it reveals something about the heart of the Father. So I just don't want you to ever miss anything, you know? So following chapter 2, the spies come back, and in the very last verse of chapter 2, the spies fortunately have a better report. There were two of them, and I think Joshua wised up to what had happened when the 12 spies were sent in the first time because only two of them came back with a good report and 10 were all, you know, a nervous wreck. And so Joshua says, let's do this right. We're just going to send in two good ones the first time. And uh, so they come out and they say, surely the Lord, in in verse 24 of chapter 2, surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Now, you've got to understand that at this point, Joshua and all of Israel are camped out on the other side of the Jordan, okay? They're they're still on the wilderness banks of the Jordan River, the promised land being on the opposite side. So when the spies go across and they come back with, with this idea that, hey, you know, God's handed this over to us. Jericho is this awesome, crazy city. But listen, we've already been given favor. We've already been given access. And, uh, and we know what to do. Okay. So the spies had just come back. And basically, they declare what Joshua knew to be true. What the people had wandered 40 years through the wilderness to come to terms with. And that is that the destiny was being handed to them. Their promises were being handed to them. And I feel like as New Testament spirit-filled Christians, we we are in a similar boat as where Israel was right here in history. You see, we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have the written word. Amen. We even have prophetic glimpses all pointing to a life in the promises of God. We love to talk about the walls of Jericho. We love to quote these spies in our daily lives. Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. (laughs) I love this. I love this. I love getting around with prophetic people and, and authoritative people in the Spirit of God who declare, who lay claim, who aren't afraid to confidently and boldly say, Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. I love it. But saints, if you're writing things down this morning, I want you to write this down. You have to cross your Jordan before you can conquer your Jericho. You have to cross your Jordan before you can conquer your Jericho. We, 
Did you hear us singing songs about Jericho this morning? Walls fall down. Where do you think that came from? Yeah. Yeah, wait, yeah, we did. We sang a song. Right? In Jesus' name. Pour it out. I can't, like, lead it and sing it. I just lead the song. I don't sing it. Like, I'm like, where are my singers at? Jesse, I see you. Jamal, they're, like, all on the front row, and they're all like, look at this guy. You think you can do it without us? We proclaim walls fall down, strongholds break. Amen. See how see you know you now you get it now. Why I need you. Listen, Jericho Saints is waiting to fall. Jericho is waiting for you to do nothing more than walk in a circle and blow a trumpet. But you have to cross your Jordan before you can conquer your Jericho. It's so important that we get this because I think that. I think that too many Christians tell God stories from the wrong side of the Jordan. Too many Christians get caught up in somebody else's testimony. We get caught up in somebody else's miracle. We get caught up in somebody else's Jericho. When he's called you to your own personal victory, to your own personal uh, overwhelming battle where he reveals all that he's capable of. But you have to cross your Jordan before you conquer your Jericho. Okay, all of Israel says, we've done this water parting thing before. We got this, right? We've seen this, Red Sea style. That was way bigger than the Jordan River. Come on, we can do this. We got this. Moses, do your, oh wait, Moses is gone. Joshua, do your thing but it's going to look different. You see, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he was making a statement. It was a different statement. And so I want to take a couple minutes and talk about the differences between crossing the parted sea when Israel was fleeing from Egypt and crossing the Jordan. Because I think sometimes, you know, we get this idea of he moves the mountain. He moves the mountain. Mm -mm. we get this idea of parting waters and we kind of just paint it all with a broad brushstroke and we say God can do all this but I want you to know this morning that as Pastor Kurt and Pastor John and as so, there's been this groundswell of belief and faith for the supernatural for God to get involved in another level why because we finally are allowing him to get involved in another level but that's another sermon for another day that Pastor Daniel is going to preach um, the end of the month. Or is it this month? Yeah, okay, I'm excited about this. But, but the idea is this. The idea is that every time God does something, he's doing something specific. The Lord doesn't do general things. There, there is an intentionality coming out of the throne room all the time with every, with every word that's delivered. And so for us to kind of group them together in big pockets, that's why I don't like topical preaching. That's why I don't like it when we just flip to the back of the Bible to the index and say, today we're going to preach on joy. And then we just go through all the Bible verses on joy. That There's nothing wrong with that. It's why I struggle with it personally. Because I feel like 
every time God is speaking about joy, every time the word freedom is mentioned, every time the word peace is referenced in Scripture, there's something specific about it. So we've got to go after the specificity. And I think for us to look at the Jordan and to throw it in with the parting of the Red Sea, we're going to miss something about the heart of the Father. A couple of differences, big differences between the Jordan and the Red Sea, if you're writing things down. The Red Sea was Israel coming out of bondage. Jordan was Israel coming into battle. Out of bondage versus into battle. These are very big differences. When the Lord does something supernatural in your life, there's, there, there, we've got to understand that that initial thing, that, that very first time when we cried out on the name of Jesus, when we said, somebody's told you you're a sinner, you, everybody's fallen short of the glory of God and led you down the Romans road, and, and suddenly the scales were removed from your eyes and you said, oh my gosh, that's me. I, I need to know this Jesus. And you ran. Even if it was just like six inches, your heart ran that marathon to accept the, the truly uh, eternal gift of salvation. But that was coming out of Egypt. That was coming out of bondage. And over the course of our lives, there may be other instances where the Lord has delivered us out of bondage, where seas have parted in order for us to escape the, 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 um, the slavery that we've been part of in, the, in our past. But there's a big difference because when you're coming out of bondage, you're just running for your life. If you remember Israel... All of Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his chariots and all of his horsemen were hot on their trails. And, and Israel is running. And they get, they get, to, the, they get to the waters and, and God, says, God says, you know, why are you crying out to me? Moses, do your thing. Like, I, you've seen how much authority I've given you. Take your staff, part these waters. And he does. And Israel makes it across and Egypt gets swallowed up. Uh, I can't preach that story. That's what the breakdown's for. So I'm going to let you guys give the backstory on this. But if you notice coming into the promised land, Joshua has given very specific instructions to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I'm not going to go there, but it's in this, it's in, actually it's twice. It's in two and three. And Joshua says to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, he says, you're to cross the Jordan in battle formation. This is very, very different than coming out of bondage. When it's all just like every man for himself, (laughs) run for your life. You're to cross in battle formation, and it says that 40,000, Warriors from these three tribes. Were they warriors coming out of Egypt? No. Were they warriors? Were you a warrior coming out of bondage? No. You were a sinner saved by grace. (laughs) But just like Jesus experiencing his first handful of battles in the wilderness, temptation, Satan, face to face with evil, Coming out of the wilderness, he didn't spend 40 years, he spent 40 days. But when he comes out, he's prepared. The Holy Spirit led him through those things. And the Holy Spirit, also the presence of God, led Israel through the wilderness. And they learned the art of warfare in that season. 
And now, all of a sudden, what once were just a bunch of slaves had never even held weapons, being enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. They had just been builders. Now they're warriors. And it says, Joshua tells these, these men, you're to cross over in battle formation. There's a big difference between coming out of bondage and coming into battle. And I feel like this morning, some of us, before we can get to our Jericho, we're crossing our Jordan, but we're doing so missing everything that God's done in us over the last season. Everything he's taught us, the battles that you've been through, the kings that you've fought. Now, nothing was as strong as Jericho. These were all sort of like, you know, local gangs, you know. But, but as they fought bigger and bigger bosses at the end of every level, they finally arrive at this threshold of the Jordan. And battle formation means that you're not running anymore. You're marching. You're marching. And I want to encourage you, saints, if you've been walking for the Lord, with the Lord for a while, then you should be at a place of spiritual maturity that you know better than to run from the darkness of this world. Now, Scripture tells us, you know, there, there are some sins that we are to flee from and not to stand there and fool around with and entertain, right? Sexual immorality. You just flee from that. Just don't even try. Just get out. Get the heck out of Dodge, right? But when it comes to crossing over and confronting the, the, the things that the Lord has already laid claim for us, I think we've got to get back into battle formation. We've got to fall back into rank. Do you remember that word out of Joel way back? It was, it was uh, around Trump's election. And the Lord woke me up early that morning, and it was out of the prophecy of Joel, I think, chapter 2. And it was where it was actually the enemy had broken through the wall, but it said he didn't lose rank. And I heard the Lord say to all these conservative Christians, you've broken through, but now will you keep rank? Will you remain in battle formation? And um, I think this running versus marching paints a, a, a telling light of American Christians. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you what your life in the Lord looks like. Is there order to it? Is there strategy to it? Is there a peace and a confidence that you have been equipped? Well, Zach, there's no way. There's no way I could be equipped to take on Jericho. No, look how Israel took on Jericho with a shout of praise, walk in a circle and blow a trumpet. That's how Jericho fell. I'm not asking you if you're personally strong. I'm saying, are you marching in battle formation? Saints, you are never going to fight a battle for heaven if you're running like a bat out of hell. And I think there's so much fear among believers right now. There's so much paranoia. There's so much 
nervousness and anxiousness and I don't know. Is God, you know, I don't know if our God's really big enough for this. No one's really saying that, but everyone's really saying that. Battle formation. You're not running out of bondage. You're marching into battle. The second big difference between the Red Sea and the Jordan is in the Red Sea, they crossed when it parted. But with the Jordan, it parted when they crossed. You see, all of this time seeing God, knowing what he's capable of, all this time walking in his word, all of this time living off of the manna that he's given you from one season to the next. When they were coming out of Israel, God was making a, I mean, when they were coming out of Egypt, God was making a statement. And so they get to the waters of the Red Sea. And we're not going to turn there. We're not going to go back. But uh, something very different happens. Um, Moses holds up his staff and the waters part before Israel walks into them. Because God was proving something to them. Once God made the statement and once he proved himself, it says on the next one that as they stepped in, the priests carrying the ark of the Lord walk into the waters and then they're cut off. Then the waters of the Jericho, are, the, of, of the Jordan River are cut off and they stop flowing. It says they pile up on one side and they, and they walk across. But these little nuances, these little tidbits of order I think sometimes they reveal some disorder in our life. Disorder in our life might look like this. God, I'll cross this thing as soon as you part it. And the Lord's like, we already did that. We already did that. I already supernaturally moved an ocean out of the way to show you what I was capable of. Now I want to show you what you're capable of. With the Red Sea, they crossed when it parted, but with the Jordan, it parted when they crossed. And finally, the Red Sea was a really cool thing. So, so the people of God had started to watch what power looked like. They watched these plagues roll in through Egypt. They all the way down to the blood painted over their doorposts and the angel of death coming through and, and wiping out the firstborn of the Egyptians, but, but Israel remaining safe. They had watched the power of God and they had watched how great and how mighty his presence was. And God's just getting started, right? And, and a part of the story that we miss sometimes is that as, as this Red Sea narrative starts to take place, Egypt was closing in on Israel and it said that the Lord confounded them with a whirlwind. The clouds and the, and the sandstorm type scenario that, had, um, that, that, that was the presence of God. The same cloud that would lead them by day and the fire by night all the way through the wilderness. This presence of God had already begun to carry them. They were safe within his presence. They were safe being swooped up and held under the shadow of his wing. And, and going all the way back to Moses, 
being deployed and, and empowered by the presence of God in the burning bush. The presence of God, the glory of God, the Shekinah weight of who he was had begun to uh, surround and, and carry his people. That was the Red Sea. But by the time they get to the Jordan, here we go with order again. It was no longer the presence carrying the people. It was the people carrying the presence. You see, when those priests set foot into that water, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant did not exist on Egypt's side of the Red Sea. It wasn't there yet. The presence was there. God was making the statement but as they crossed in and Moses began to meet with the Lord and, and uh, the law was written and the Ten Commandments were given and all of the orders uh, surrounding the tabernacle and, and the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood and all this stuff, it starts to take shape. And as God begins to reveal himself and the order and the discipline, wait a minute, God's looking for discipline? I'm in the wrong church. Yes, because he wanted a people on whom he could rest his authority. He wanted a people who could be trusted to carry his presence. And you're not just going to throw it in a cart, as David's guys learned the hard way. You're not just going to put it in a backpack and sling it over your shoulder or tie it on the end of a stick. No. No. It's going to be specific. It's going to be acacia wooden poles. And they're going to be slid through golden rings on the four corners of a piece of furniture that's going to change all of history. And my priesthood is going to carry it. Saints, when God brought you out of bondage, when you were a slave to sin, it was him who carried you. But as we cross over thresholds and as we confront Jericho's, it is so important to know that it is us who carries the presence. You got to get it. You got to get it. You got to know this. Okay, and finally, Jamal, you can come, brother, because I'm down to this last point, and I just want to... Um, I want to take my time with this because I think that it's indicative of something God's teaching our church on a bigger level and has been for a decade plus. But there's this verse in chapter 3 that I want to read to you. It goes like this. It shall come about, in verse 13, when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth rest in the waters. Well, there it is. That just proves my last point, right? That it doesn't happen until the ones carrying the presence step into the waters. But look. Look at this wording. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. Then the waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Now, in the Hebrew, 
that verse begins with two words that are a phrase. The second word is nuach, and that's what's translated as a word that we see in the middle of that verse, the word rest. See it all the way down? When the feet, blah, 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 come about, soles of the feet, priests who carry, the Lord, blah, 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 rest. That word rest is actually the second word in the entire phrase. Order, 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 order. Order is important. The way scripture was inspired, the way it was breathed out of heaven is important. And I believe that the Lord reveals order. It's different grammatically than it is for us in the English language where you've got to have subjects and predicates and they've got to, you know, be connected with conjunctions and conjunction, junction, what's your function? (laughs) See, the Hebrews didn't sing that song because the function of every Hebrew word was to reveal order. And the very first idea that is breathed out in this instruction of how the Jordan would be stopped is this, when rest happens. And then to the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, then the waters will be cut off and stand in one heap. When rest happens, Nuach, when rest happens. You want to hear something crazy about the Jordan River at the time when Israel approached it, needing to cross over? It was the harvest. It was the flood season. It was when the banks of the Jordan were overflowing. It was when this river was at its most violent That's when the Lord chose to confront it with his people and his presence. So I'm supposed to walk into a violently rushing white water. I don't know if there's white water there, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Carrying a golden piece of furniture. I just want to get all this straight. And once I start walking in it, it's going to stop. God, could we just wait out the flood season? Anybody ever ask that? Lord, you called me to do this. You called us to do this. You, you want us to what? open a, a, a health clinic, and you, wanna, you want us to start a church, and you want us to start a, a school of the Spirit. And you, there's all, Could we just wait until you know, it makes more sense? The Lord says, for such a time as this. I brought you here because I'm not just the God of the river. I'm the God of the flood. When rest happened. We're not just going to overcome this flood by making the best, you know, all the Michael Phelps priests, like carry the ark across. Just hope for the best. Put your strongest swimmers carrying the ark. Let me tell you something about the ark. It was not going to float, okay? That thing was going right to the bottom. (laughs) Rest. When rest happens. When rest happens in the middle of a flood. When rest happens to the soles of the feet 
of the ones who carry the presence of God. It will be then that the raging waters of this river will stop. A passage that's been um, coming to our attention over and over the last, I don't know, maybe year, year and a half. I remember Barbara Holmes kind of started this trend prophetically and it, it wasn't a trend in the natural because nobody knew that anybody else was saying it, but everybody was coming to me and saying, Zach, you know that? But actually, I remember Becca Poole writing a song about this 100 years ago when the church first started, and it was that Romans 8 verse that says all of creation is crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. And here's something interesting about that that kind of seems like sort of an abstract idea just pulled out of context. But that line is followed by this. Because creation itself will be free from the slavery of corruption and set into the freedom or liberty of the glory of the children of God. That's why they're crying out. That's why creation, that's why the world, whether it realizes it or not, whether it cares to admit it or not, everything inside of creation is groaning, is longing, is yearning for the manifestation of the sons of God, not just so we can have our day, but because it's when we manifest the glory of God that creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. It's when the flooding waters, the chaos and the dysfunction and the brokenness that even rivers obey, even the flood season obeys because it's not us they're obeying, it's the manifestation of the glory of God through us and in us that demands response from the chaos and the mess of this world. I love this message. Jesus Christ, help us. I want you to know that it was heavy to carry that ark. And they were never told to put it down, but to stop and rest. Let's stand together. I think um, there's this cool thing about there's this cool thing about this word nuach. It's not used um, in the creation narrative when it says on the seventh day God rested. That's Shabbat. That's the word that we use, the, we, the root of our idea for Sabbath. However, when the Ten Commandments are given and the explanation for in Exodus 20, verse 11, and the explanation is given for why we're to remember that Sabbath day to keep it holy, we're offered this. Because on the seventh day, God knew Ak. He rested. He rested. He stopped. Now, rest 
doesn't look like what we think of rest when we get home and we take off our shoes and lay down on the couch. It certainly was not that for these priests. Nope. They had to stand there holding this gold-encrusted piece of heavy furniture. The work did not stop. But rest happened in the middle of it. Somehow, rest happened in such an authoritative way. You see, we think that God is the one that parted the Jordan, but that's not how he wrote it. You know how God is involved in this part? God is involved like this. The priests manifested the glory. The sons, the children of God, carrying the presence of God, manifested his glory. Because glory looks like rest. Glory looks like standing still in the middle of a flood. And that river had no option but to stop and obey. Saints, I want to encourage you with this this morning. Number one, there is a promised land. There is a land of the living. There is a place of promises that God has called you to. And I believe that long before we arrive at eternity's shore, that we will be standing on many a riverbank. It's up to us whether we're going to just live our lives telling stories about a Jericho that we never actually get to. Or will we see walls fall down? Will we be close enough to feel the earth shake under our feet by the power of all eternity bringing this world to its knees? You have to cross your Jordan before you can confront your Jericho. But there's so many differences. I think all of the New Testament, it seems like, all of the Pauline epistles, from the time of the gospel on, because the, the, Jesus comes and, and recreates um, the Egyptian exodus. He, he, he does it in real time. He personifies the, the, the powerlessness of bondage. But following that, we, we read through every letter to every young church says this, grow up, grow up. You were taught how to fight, now fight. You were taught how to stand, now stand. You were taught how to march, now march. You were, you were uh, shown discipline, now live lives of discipline. Order was revealed to you, now reveal that order to the world. The presence of God was put on you. Now carry it. You're not afraid of rushing waters anymore. Walk into them. This is who we are. The children of God. The priests who carry that presence. And if you've made it all the way to this point where there's boldness and confidence in you to go ahead and start walking, I want you to know that today, just like thousands of years ago, the floods stop when we step into them. So, Father, we trust you right now. 
We thank you right now and we trust you. Lord, because in all of your wisdom and all of your sovereignty, you have trusted us. You have called us to be carriers of the presence. You have called us not just to be victors over Jericho, but crossers of the Jordan. And so, Lord, I pray that for those who are standing on the wrong side of the right river, Lord, that something would come over us. That that same thing that overshadowed us back in our bondage days and brought us out, Lord, that it would fill us now with boldness and confidence to walk into this flood, to walk into these rivers. God, may we do it with obedience. May we do it with faith. And may we do it in a rest that manifests the glory that this earth is crying out for. We love you and we give it all back to you. It's all yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. And I'll see you Tuesday night at prayer.